boost reading and writing and learning confidence with TextHelp. TextHelp is a world-leading specialist in assistive technology and literacy support software. They believe that literacy skills are every student's passport to academic, social, and professional success. They create smart, friendly software supports that enable young people to read and write with confidence. Read and Write is their award-winning software designed to support struggling readers and writers, English language learners, and students with learning disabilities. It's available on Windows, Macs, and as a Chrome extension, and on both iPad and Android tablets. To find out more, visit texthelp.com slash readwrite. Need to make more time for reading? With Fluency Tutor for Google, you can do just that. This time-saving leveled reading and assessment tool lets teachers share an unlimited number of reading passages with students and listen to, score, and provide feedback on their recordings. Try it for free at FluencyTutorForGoogle.com. And finally, Boost student achievement with Teach for Google. This exciting new professional development system for educators offers a fast-growing library of short, easy-to-implement courses containing all the tools necessary to successfully implement effective teaching strategies through the Google Apps environment. Learn more at teachforgoogle.com. To find out more about TextHelp and their award-winning software solutions for educators and the students, visit texthelp.com or call one 888 2480652 again that number is 18882480652 hello and welcome to the AT tips cast where we explore free or nearly free tools and strategies that educators can use to provide more options to all learners i'm your host Chris Bouguet. This is episode 145, recorded on April 11, 2015. It's been a while since I posted a listener feedback question and answer episode. I've been hoarding all this correspondence for a while now. It always feels like such a shame not to share the answers to the questions to a wider world. Emailing response to one person's questions only helps that one person, but when it's shared with the entire world, well, then everyone benefits. In order to not betray anyone's confidence, I've deleted any names and altered the email slightly as to not give away any identifying information. And now let's get into the Q&A after a word from our second sponsor. EasyGrade is a free iOS app for teachers that makes it easy to grade your students' papers when you leave the cardboard EasyGrader at school. This app has many features that make it the best easy grader application on the App Store. The feature that makes this app stand out is that if you grade with partial credit, EasyGrade has an option, available via an in-app purchase, that lets you calculate grades based on half points or whole points. Some other great features include how you can adjust how many questions are on the test with a quick tap, how you can choose whether you want to calculate grades based on the number of problems your students got wrong or the number of problems the student got right, and how you can increase or decrease the text size if you need to fit more or less on one screen. EasyGrade is free in the App Store, and the best way to find it is to do a search for EasyGrade or by going to www.easygradeapp.com. That's www.easygradeapp.com. Mr. Bouguet, I'm a parent looking to obtain an individual educational AT evaluation for writing for my son who is in third grade. He is a student with autism. We live in Texas. 
I participated in your webinar about low-cost tech for writing for the Center on Technology and Disability. It definitely confirmed my hunch that there are many tools out there that can be put in place to help my son, and they do not need to be expensive. Do you provide private consultation? I already went into the RESNA directory, the Rehabilitation, Engineering, and Assistive Technology Society for North America, and most of the people who hold the ATP certification, Assistive Technology Practitioner, in my area do not work with school districts or have a focus on speech aspects of disorders, not writing. My district service center already told me that I will not find someone who can possibly know better than their professional at school. Of course, I'm skeptical. Is there a way that you can help us or recommend someone? Thanks in advance. P.S. For my son, writing is like asking a pig to fly. That little pig. Thanks for coming to the webinar. I'm glad you found it useful. I do provide consultation services and would conduct a private AT evaluation, but chances are the school district will be looking for someone who is more locally based. Although RESNA is one source, it is not the only source for finding professionals working in the field of assistive technology. I'm not RESNA certified and, for a variety of reasons, will likely never be, if that gives you an example of how limited that pool of potential people might be. If you're not familiar with it already, definitely check out the Quiet Listserv by going to bit.ly slash join quiet. That's Q-I-A-T. This is an ongoing discussion group talking about assistive technology concerns. You could post there about looking for individuals in the area who might be able to provide local assistance. Here's something to keep in mind when working with your school. Try to keep the conversations focused on the problems at hand, specifically difficulties he might be having achieving the goals specified in the IEP. AT professionals often get requests for supports to kind of see what's out there, but the truth is there is a lot out there. What is this thing? It's an asteroid, sir. How big are we talking? Sir, our best estimate is 97.6 billion. It's the size of Texas, Mr. President. Yeah, yes, sir. Dan, we didn't see this thing coming. Well, our object collision budget's a million dollars. That allows us to track about 3% of the sky. And begging your pardon, sir, but it's a big-ass sky. There are millions of tools, strategies for using these tools, and methods for using those strategies with those tools. The best way to help a student is to pinpoint the exact goals, try to understand why that student is having difficulty with those goals, and then come up with interventions. In a way, you might think of it like going shopping for a birthday present. You don't go into a store and say, well, I'll take one of those and one of those and one of those because someday maybe I'll run into somebody or know somebody who needs that and I'll give that to them for their birthday. Instead, you go shopping for a person based on what that person likes. Hmm, my mom really likes uh, quilting, so I'm going to go to the quilting store and I'm going to find some stuff for in quilts and then I'm going to buy that for her because I know she likes quilting. Or if I'm going shopping for a child, I might say, hmm, what does that child really like? Oh, that child really likes Legos? Let me go look in the Lego section. Oh, okay, here, I found something, and that would be perfect for that child. Also, feel free to share the link to the webinar with your son's teachers and administrators. They might appreciate the free professional development. Here's a link to the recorded webinar, bit.ly slash ctd 
RW webinar vid. That's bit.ly slash CTDRW webinar vid. Lastly, since you specifically mentioned writing, one thing that most schools continue to tend to do is require students to express what they know through writing, because this is how we all grew up learning how to assess knowledge. I'm guessing your son, just like my son, just like most people's sons, are exposed to the same routine. A lesson is taught. It might even be somewhat fun. The students fill out some sort of worksheet as part of that lesson. The worksheet is turned in, and maybe the worksheet is homework, for example. Maybe the worksheet is classwork. Maybe after the lesson and worksheet, there's some sort of unit test where students are asked to write some more. Learning to write is important. I'm not saying it's not important. In fact, I think there's mounting evidence that writing, or at least composing your thoughts about a topic, is one of the best ways to ensure you understand and remember something you've learned. What I am saying is that for content like science and social studies, the students should not be forced to demonstrate what they've learned through writing. There are alternative forms of expression. For example, they could record audio to express what they know. Does all of that help? Please invite the educators to contact me if they have any questions too. Thanks so much. All the best to you and your son. Hi, Chris. I am a frequent participant at the ATIA Orlando Conference annually, and you are a familiar face name at each one. I wonder if you can help point me in the right direction. I am working with a very complex veteran. I am a speech pathologist specializing in AT at a VA hospital and would love to see if you may have some resources or direction to point me in to help this young fellow. He was in a car accident with resulting traumatic brain injury, C4 complete quadriplegic, bilateral blindness, dysarthia, and tracheotomy in 2008. He uses a speech device to communicate and a sip and puff switch for environmental controls computer access. His primary goal is to join an online chat group, support group, to socialize with other people. Would you be aware of any forums, chat groups, Skype groups, etc. that may be of benefit for him to pursue? Would greatly appreciate any recommendations or names of other people who could potentially help. I have also contacted Ike Presley as I have seen him speak on technology for the visually impaired. Thanks. Hey there. Offhand, I don't know of any specific groups for him to immediately join. That said, I do have another idea for him. If he isn't already on it, I might recommend him exploring Twitter. He could do a Twitter search on, say, quadriplegia, or similar terms. This would result in a list of people who are tweeting about that specific term. He could then start following those people and start maybe talking about them about that specific topic. From there, he can start tweeting with those people and form relationships. That's how networks grow. That network of individuals will surely have connections to other organizations, online forums, social media sites, and even in-person events. If you have any questions about Twitter or how that works, just let me know. This person followed up on their response with, Thanks for the speedy reply. I did not go to the Twitter 101 session at ATIA, and I do not use Twitter. Is that something he can access on a computer speech-generating device with adapted access, or does he have to use a mobile device, phone, or tablet? As long as he has internet access, he should be able to access Twitter. Of course, he'll need to create an account to post on Twitter, but not necessarily to search it. I think it might be a huge way for him to connect with other people. Here's a link to the slide deck from the Twitter 101 session from ATIA, but there might be even better resources on the web with regard to tutorials. 
That's bit.ly slash Twitter 101 ATIA 2015. That's bit.ly slash Twitter 101 ATIA 2015. Let me know if there's more that I can do. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically liberates others. Hi, Chris. You and I talked briefly after one of your sessions at ATIA on data collection and accountability. The team that I work with is interested in doing more data collection on iPads. Currently, I'm leading a large emergent literacy grant project for my school district. In November 2014, I reported progress data to the State Department of Education and they're impressed with the students' and teachers' improvements. Transferring all the data from each teacher's idiosyncratic data collection forms to a cumulative progress report for the state was extremely time-consuming and inspired me to begin fine-tuning our data collection process. As part of that process, I've encouraged teachers to use checklists and meet with me monthly for data review conversations. I'm attaching a couple of checklists we're using for data collection of emergent, shared, reading, and self-selected writing skills for our students who use AAC systems. So my questions for you are, one, how would you convert these checklists to portable devices so teachers can collect data on their iPads, Google Forms? Two, what apps are you using currently for data collection that are your favorites that might work for us? I wish I could have attended your pre-conference, but our budget is limited this year. I was fortunate to attend two days of the ATIA conference. Thank you for your time and sharing your expertise. Hey there, nice to hear from you. Congratulations on the documented successes of your programs. Way to go. To answer your questions, one, yes, these two forms could be converted into Google Forms. That is exactly where I'd start. As educators complete the forms, it populates a back-end spreadsheet, making it easier to collect, sort, and analyze the data. Do you have any experience with Google Forms? If not, I'd start by just messing around with a fake fun one just to see how it works. Then, after you do that, see if you can recreate the form. Here's a link to a video tutorial to get you started. bit.ly slash Google Form Video Tutorial. Also, make sure you check out the Summary of Responses feature in Google Forms. You can find it under the Form menu. It's an easy way to get graphs of the data. Here's a link to a video tutorial on that little nifty feature bit.ly slash gf summary of responses bit.ly slash gf summary of responses two apps in our school district we haven't adopted ios devices as our platform universally we are still a pc district with a few schools that have gone google and a few other schools that are currently moving toward a bring your own device sort of system in the data collection pre-conference session, and in general, I sort of advocate for not necessarily using apps that are platform-specific, iOS, Android, etc., but instead using something web-based because, generally, this is more universal. 
For this reason, I'd attempt to use Google Forms before using something else. This way, an educator can whip out their phone, no matter the platform, open the form through a saved bookmark, and be ready to go. The only assumption is that they are connected to the internet. The worry of, well that feature works on iOS but not Android, or vice versa, is minimized. One last thing to remember though about Google Forms is that you are saving information to a server owned and controlled by Google. Unless, of course, you are a school that has Google Apps for Education. When my wife, a high school special education teacher, uses Google Forms, she uses code names. She has a separate Excel spreadsheet where she matches a student name to a superhero alias. So, Tucker B equals Iron Man. Maggie B equals Black Widow. You get the idea. Black Widow goes on the Google Form so you aren't risking a breach in confidentiality. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. This moron is giving me everything. I don't give everything. Look, you can't pull me out of this right now. Natasha. Barton's been compromised. Let me put you on hold. Looking forward to the conference in Utah where you'll be the keynote presenter. I'm curious as to your opinion. I have a daughter who is in the fourth grade, diagnosed with severe dyslexia, and has a recommendation for tech. She reads on a first grade level. She currently has an IEP. What type of technology do you think would be helpful? I have heard that an iPad with the Voice Dream app and the Prismo app for speech to text would be good starters. I would love to hear back from you. Are there reasons if a child has great oral comprehension, normal IQ, and dyslexia that technology should not be used or is not beneficial? I have an appointment this Friday to look at iPad apps with a local AT representative. My son is in fourth grade as well. Without knowing your daughter very well, it's hard to make specific recommendations, but I'd say most students with reading difficulties benefit, need, access to something that performs text-to-speech, not speech-to-text. This way, she could listen to text when she is having trouble decoding. There are many different tools that accomplish that task, and I'd talk to your school about what is already available to students. That is, rather than introducing some new or novel tool that's foreign to everyone in the environment, including your daughter, it's often best to look for solutions that are already available in the educational environment. We call this whole concept least restrictive environment and it applies to tools as well. Tools that are already in the environment are usually least restrictive. In some cases, however, introducing something new or novel is necessary because either the school doesn't have text-to-speech tools. In some cases, however, introducing something new or novel is definitely necessary because either the school doesn't have text-to-speech tools which are accessible universally or because that tool isn't, for some reason, meeting a student's needs. As for written expression, I typically lean toward practicing keyboarding and using a function called word prediction before looking at speech-to-text tools. I'd rather have students learning and practicing keyboarding than talking into a device, because there are many, many times in a person's life when they need to write but can't speak. Picture yourself sitting in a conference listening to a lecture, or maybe in a college classroom, or in an office where others are sitting nearby. It isn't convenient to write by talking in those situations. Word prediction is a feature where when you start typing, words appear predicting what you might be trying to say. This helps some students become better writers by making less mistakes when writing. To me, technology just means tools. Tools are always beneficial to helping people complete tasks. There's never a time I don't consider tools to help a student, no matter what his or her abilities might be.
Good luck with your meeting today. I hope this helps. Go ahead. Go ahead and what? Write. What are you doing? I'm writing. Like you'll be when you start punching those keys. Is there a problem? No, I'm just thinking. No. <laughs> no thinking. That comes later. You write your first draft with your heart. And you rewrite with your head. The first key to writing is to write. I love your podcasts and websites. I just read your blog posts about changing the verb in the definition of assistive technology device from use to require. That is what I try to remind teams on a daily basis. Also, I'm just now catching up on podcasts and heard the one in September about Molly and her predicament of the AT eval blues. While my scenario is not quite that high numbers-wise, our concept and dissemination of AT services is similar. My question is this. How to start the model change? I would love to change the model, but there is currently myself and a para, new this year, to our district that serves over 30,000 students. So close to 3,000 students in special ed. I have looked at the model of the county where you work and saw groups of AT trainers that supported various sites. I love that. How did you get support for this? Any advice would be helpful. Our district is on the verge of some changes and I would love to address changes to our AT model as well. Thanks so much and keep up the great work. At the risk of sounding like a salesman in a cheap suit, we, my colleague Sally Norton Dar and I, wrote a book on the very subject about what you're asking. It's called The Practical and Fun Guide to Assistive Technology in Public Schools and can be found at isti.org slash chewat. That's I-S-T-E dot org slash chewat. It's all about starting or growing an AT team. Our team started out as volunteers that turned into a one-woman, full-time gig, that grew into the fully-fledged team we have today. We wrote the book from the perspective that most places don't have an AT team, so someone like you could read the book, flag pages, and leave them on supervisors' desks with little sticky notes that read, This is what I've been talking about! Now, let me take off the cheap suit and put on the working man overalls. Here are some things to try. 1. Keep data and show off these numbers to whoever will read them. Specifically, how much money has been saved by having you as an employee and how much more could be saved if you had more full-time help. Solve problems using stuff that is free or already available as much as possible. Then, track these numbers. Without you, IEP teams would be floundering around buying stuff they think they need but don't, which wastes students' time and educators' time and the school district's money. More often than not, when you show somebody something like how a student, named Tony for example, can record his own voice to respond to an answer, instead of struggling with handwriting or paying for a scribe, the person you show will say, hey, that's not just for Tony, any student can use that strategy. Great for Tony, he counts for one tick, 
but what about all those other students? I'm not saying you should inflate or exaggerate your numbers, but I'm saying you need to play that game to your best advantage. If you taught a teacher a new strategy and she plans to use it with all of her students, how many students did you just help? How many students would still be having problems if it weren't for you giving that advice? How much money could have been saved by an IEP team looking to buy a device when you showed them how to use something that was already available? How much money has been wasted by IEP teams that are using technology that's been abandoned or never really adopted at all? How much money is lost in missing inventory because one person can't possibly manage it all? People need to see charts, graphs, and numbers to realize just how much money you save the district and just how much more could be saved. Let administrators know that more of you means less people in their hair mucking up their days. Hey admin, more AT people means less headaches for you. There are some great data visualization tools out there. Here's just one of them. www.trackthis4.me www.trackthis4.me Realize that there is a lot of upfront work, but that this will save you time in the end. We found it helpful to think of ourselves as a little startup company. We knew that was our goal and we knew it was going to be a lot of work getting there. The payoffs come later. To this end, we never said no, ever. Can you come to a training on? Yes. Can you come show us how to? Yes. Can you attend a meeting? Yes. Anytime someone asks us to help, we said yes. Moreover, we invited ourselves to meetings. Eh, do you mind if I sit in on your staff meeting and then interject and participate? Oh, you're making purchasing decisions about interactive whiteboards or software we are planning to add district-wide? Hey, man, mind if we have a seat at that table? And then offer perspectives that benefit all students. Establishing a presence is important to help guide decisions, which helps not only students in special education, but really everyone. For example, hey, text-to-speech helps everyone. Let's make sure that's on every computer, and then let's make sure everyone knows it's there and how to use it. Once people see how cost-effective and beneficial you are, they'll want more people just like you. If you read and listened to the Molly story, you already know what this is. Basically, do PD with educators to get them to know you exist as a friendly face who can help them. No or very little paperwork should be required to get your assistance. Just email me and we'll schedule a time to chat about your students. We'll generate recommendations. I'll write them up and I'll send them to you. Look at that. No evaluation was necessary because for the vast majority of students, you helped them using the technology that was already in the environment. Teachers just didn't know where to look. You only need to do an evaluation when you believe you might need to put some technology in place that isn't already in the environment. For some supervisors, they will be motivated by following the law. The law states AT needs to be considered at every IEP meeting. How does the district do that consistently for all students at every meeting? Do they? Are they currently doing that? If not, how can we educate them to do so? Guys, we're screwing this up across our district and it's only a matter of time before a parent calls us on it. I need to be there to help educate everyone on how best to consider assistive technology consistently at every IEP meeting. What are your neighbors doing? Can you point to neighbors as examples? Can you leverage their success or lack of it to your advantage? Look at what School District X is doing. If they're doing it, we should too. Or look at what School District X is doing. We want to be ahead of them, don't we? Do we want to be a guiding beacon for how to do this thing the right way? Or do we want School X to get the glory? We want them to follow our example, not the other way around. Be Mad-Eye Moody. Remember him? 
He's that crazy-eyed guy from the Harry Potter stories who had the catchphrase, CONSTANT VIGILANCE! You'll have bad days, you'll want to give up, but stick to it. It is a marathon, some of which might be political. You've got to work the system, getting in the limelight, getting in front of the right people, whispering in the right ears, whispering in the right corridors, flagging the right pages of the right books and placing those on the right desks. And show everyone that they are missing out if they don't have you. Alistair Moody. Ex-order. Ministry malcontent. And your new defense against the dark arts teacher. I am here because Dumbledore asked me. End of story. Goodbye. The end. Any questions? When it comes to the dark arts, I believe in a practical approach. But first, which of you can tell me how many unforgivable curses there are? Three, sir. And they are so named? Because they are unforgivable. The use of any one of them will we'll earn you a one-way ticket to Azkaban, correct? Now, the minister says you're too young to see what these curses do. I say different. You need to know what they're up against. You need to be prepared. You need to find another place to put your chewing gum besides the underside of your desk, Mr. Finnegan. Oh, no way. The old codger can see at the back of his head. I'm here across classrooms. So. That's about all the time we have for this episode. I still have more questions and answers to get to, but I'll pick those up in part two of the listener Q&A episode. Before I go, I just have a few quick announcements. Thanks to my wife, Melissa, for reading all the questions. It took some time to record, so thanks, Melissa. You can follow her on Twitter at accordingtomags.com. Also, I'd like to thank everyone who participated in the two events by the Center for Technology and Disability that I hosted on the topic of multiple means of professional development. The first was a recorded webinar. You can check out a video recording of that event by going to bit.ly slash webinar. Then, as a follow-up to that event, I hosted a Twitter chat using the hashtag CTDTechTalk. The interactions and discussions were really informative and inspiring, and honestly, they continue to be. The CTD Tech Talk hashtag is the official hashtag of the Center for Technology and Disability, and as such, people are using that hashtag to post resources about technology and disability. I just wanted to thank everyone who participated for taking the time to interact. Without you, it wouldn't have been the huge success that it turned out to be. Also, Beth Poss and I will be hosting a webinar on Twitter 101 for the Assistive Technology Industry Association. The webinar will be on April 22, 2015 at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can learn more and register by going to bit.ly slash twitter101atiawebinar. That's bit.ly slash twitter101atiawebinar. If you know someone who's been Twitter curious, then this is the webinar for them to get them started. Until next time, may all your strategies be supportive, may all your interventions be inclusive, and may you never forget that if you're an educator in contemporary society, it's your obligation to share the awesome work you're doing.